Hello and welcome to High T Security. Today we're chatting about the overlap between security and stand-up with the one and only Jack Daniel. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So I don't really have a script. I really just figured, tell me all about the exciting things that you're up to and the... I've seen you speak a few times and I'm always completely blown away by how natural it comes. Um, I imagine that does actually take work though. <laughs> it does It does take some work and a lot of practice. I've been giving talks in technology and security for 15 plus years now, starting out at small user groups and you know, that's where B-Sides, my passion for B-Sides and community comes from. When I was a new system administrator trying to learn, I found some user groups, people were willing to share. I learned a couple of tips and tricks and I shared them and it grew from there. And that idea of I can't afford training, I'm going to lean on some people that know what they're doing. Hey, I learned something and shared it. And it went from, I discovered this thing about, uh, you know, the migration from Exchange 5 to 5.5, telling you how old I am. to you know, giving formal talks about it, and I was rough at first, and I've done it a lot, and I'm comfortable with it, and I'm, I am always uh, nervous, but it's I'm not. I don't have a fear of speaking. I've spoken to crowds of you know well over a thousand, couple thousand people, uh, but I'm always nervous because I always want to do a good job, and so mm-hmm. I'm a little nervous about always delivering, whether it's three or four people or, or two thousand, because you know. They're paying attention. You know, I, I owe them something if, if they're going to pay attention. Um, and not directly related, but I've always been interested in comedy and the amount of public speaking I do, things that I can do to, to develop that skill. I wanted to do some comedy. Um, I had a, a rough period a few years ago. I lost my wife to cancer. I was in a dark place, and my friends helped pull me through it. But one of the things that came out of that was... I wanted to just do something different and push some boundaries, so I started doing open mic comedy. And it's, it's tense, it's not a friendly audience, it's not where I am. You know, for example, giving a, a, a short opening talk here on what B-Sides is and welcome to B-Sides Copenhagen. Uh, it's people that don't know me, uh, they're all younger than me. Um, I live in, in the southern U.S., I live in Florida now, but I've lived in Georgia for a while. It's not old white men that are at these things, and I'm the uh, real outlier. So it's, you know, I need to win over the audience. I need to be comfortable. If you're too nervous, it shows. So you just get up on stage, and off you go. And it pushed me back into, you know, my first days of giving talks and trying to figure these things out that I should know and, and audience engagement and things like engaging the audience if the venue's small enough or, or right uh, is something that really comes out in, in stand-up and doesn't always translate well to, to technical talks or even social talks, but interacting with the audience, engaging the audience, uh, dealing with things when they go wrong, which we all experience from minor to major technical difficulties, the ability to roll with it. Uh, and it's fun when you when people laugh when you've written jokes or because I have an interesting life, I spent a couple of years mostly just writing down what happened to me. I didn't actually write my comedy. I just lived it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I won't go into too many details, but my first attempt at being a single adult, a single adult came in my mid fifties. 
late 50s and uh, never figured out dating because my wife and I started going together in high school. So uh, imagine your first attempts at dating coming as you're approaching 60, but you have some disposable income so you can afford to make really big dumb mistakes. (laughs) Uh, So that's where a lot of my comedy comes from. Um, But you tell these stories and a couple of things come out. It's personal, so people connect. Um, Problems with relationships, dealing with your kids, your parents, boyfriends, girlfriends, lovers, whatever. Um, People relate to relationship issues. And so you make that connection and you start telling stories and people relate and they laugh and it's, it's amazing. I've done mostly open mics, but I've done some other things that had bigger audiences at uh, the B-Sides in Baltimore. A year and a half ago, I did uh, a set. Um, Jason blank. Jason. Nope. Blanchard. Jason Blanchard and I each did, um, we were supposed to do 15-minute sets, and he ended up going to 20, and I went to 30 minutes. (laughs) They weren't pressed for time. They were like, fine, go. And it was just amazing. We both got a lot of laughs. It It was an amazing thrill. And I was just blown away by the the some people I, I hate to use bad analogies but it was like a drug it was like wow that's a high that, that lasts a long time and it's very different because if you keep people laughing and you keep them engaged and you thread things out uh, it is really fun and it's there are ways to do it you can just get up most open mics in smaller communities going to have some friendly people somebody's going to pull you aside unless you're terrible and say something nice that's true and uh they'll also you know maybe you can make friends with them and get a little feedback find out who's doing stuff Uh, there there are comedy schools everywhere i've been fortunate enough to take some classes at second city i I go to hollywood because they run a lot more classes but i've done improv and and stand-up workshops at second city and it's amazing it's just this great vibe, and I, I love the the Second City vibe. It's very much improv based. Even the scripted comedy you start every day with with some improv, and improv is great for getting you to, to break down, teaching you how to connect with other people, because you need to work in the class. And the the Second City model is really built on um, yes and the idea of a gift. It's it's you always build on what somebody has given you but you always build to give them something else to work with and there are a lot of good improv workshops and platforms and and different organizations that do them Uh, some are a little more confrontational but they're all good but i really like the second city vibe of it's all about handing off something you can you can take a punchline if you're set up but make sure you you set it up for somebody else and that idea is um now that, that goes back to community, building things and sharing ideas. And so I really enjoy doing the... I can't see myself doing much improv, but I enjoy doing the comedy. And it, it makes it more fun. And it does make me think about where to use humor and where not to use humor. And getting a laugh from people uh, that's just bolted on. I mean, you, you see people, and I don't want to pick on salespeople, but I will. Uh, <laughs> A lot of salespeople have learned if, you, if people laugh at the beginning of your presentation, they'll pay attention. And so they tell a joke that has nothing to do with with That's that. True. So you the get a laugh. Break. Right, you get the icebreaker. Break. You get a laugh, but you don't tie it into anything else. Yeah. And sometimes it can be a stretch to pull in a, a joke that uh, really works. 
in the context, but that's part of the, the challenge of writing. I mean, if you just want to say something funny, you know, open Facebook and see what idiocy has been posted there. Or, uh, you know, one of my favorites is Harper's Magazine does an index, which has some interesting tidbits. And there's always something that makes you go, that's interesting. I can make a joke here. But making it relevant to what you're doing is, is trickier. And it's, it's, it is a challenge, but it's fun. And I, I, enjoy, I enjoy doing comedy. I, I do a lot of public speaking. Uh, most of it is this sort of you know, community-centric stuff. I do a lot of stuff on uh, the history project of mine, Shoulders of InfoSec. Okay. And I try to make those people, the foundational figures in our industry, people. Because we yeah. lose, you know, we say RSA and Revest Shemir and Edelman are real people, interesting people. They have actually done more things after what they are known for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Diffie and Hellman have continued to do interesting things, but I always talk about um, Ralph Merkel, who should have been part of that, that should have been a trio, because a lot of his work was foundational that, that led to Diffie Hellman. So I try to tell their stories, and anywhere I can find humor in those, I do too. Mm-hmm. And it makes it more engaging, and, and you know, relevant humor is, is fun. Mm-hmm. I have, and have fun with it. Besides, you know, if people laugh, it's, it's just better. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, the world is not quite perfect these days. So a little, <laughs> a little laughter, as long as it's not mean-spirited. That's another one of the things that they absolutely hammer at Second City, and I believe this too. Uh, being a straight old white guy who's done okay, yeah. I'm certainly not rich, but I'm, you know, I'm not worried about the, the next rent payment. Um, they have a rule of, you know, um, they describe it as never punch down, always punch up, mm-hmm. always punch up. You can make fun of yourself. You can poke at your family for their oddities because they're family. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you don't do jokes that punch down, that, that mm-hmm. attack people or ridicule people who are in a... I don't want to say lesser, but in a, in a weaker state than you, with less opportunities, less whatever. Now, if you want to make fun of political leaders um, they've set themselves as, as targets because by being public and being political and then unfortunately a lot of the political leaders make it really easy to uh, make fun of them mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean i watched a talk um, at agile testing days um, a couple weeks ago and it was called the importance of laughter i don't have my phone on me so i can actually check the lady's name that presented mm. but she did a brilliant job and she did touch on like how laughter brings us together and like already makes us want to collaborate and mm. um, it's a really good connection tool but she does talk, like touch on the different types of laughter the you know positive and um, you know bringing yourself down which i do i what's it called self-deprecating i do that all the time that's like normal for me right and and so when i i didn't know that mind you and somebody brought it up and i was like that sounds awful but it is quite funny the the challenge is if you're being self-deprecating and but not abusing yourself i mean we have we have some we have some challenges with imposter syndrome in the industry just a bit (laughs) i apparently people think i've accomplished a few things but i often wonder um if i deserve to be where i am and so you have to kind of self-deprecating is good making fun of yourself is good but don't beat yourself up yes that's 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 a a real challenge but yeah it's fun and uh, honestly as does not as related to infosec and hacker space but 
the I don't want to say therapeutic, but the the cathartic value of humor when you're in a dark place and humor that comes from a dark place yeah. is uh, can be very good. It can be very healthy. Um, unfortunately, a lot of comics struggle with depression. It's not uncommon. We've lost a lot to the wretched excesses of drugs and alcohol and just straight suicide. People like Robin Williams who you're like, how can this? We look at the people that we've lost. That's one of the things in Second City is you walk up and down the halls and remember, oh, we lost her to cancer. We lost him to this. But that loss the ability to laugh and it's really hard with sometimes to find out find where the humor is in tragedy but when you find that it's it's saying it's okay it's okay you know tragedy plus time is comedy is one of the things people say i don't think that's all true not every tragedy can be and i won't share it here but i have some humor based on losing my wife to cancer and it's it's rough and the first time i did it in public a dear friend of mine who had just had her own cancer battle and come out stronger than ever uh, was in the front row and I used her as a barometer and you know her the comment was that um, if you think jokes about cancer are offensive you should actually have cancer because that's a <laughs> lot more offensive right uh, you know having cancer having loved ones die of cancer that's that's really offensive this is just a joke and the joke is from the perspective of we've we've had this pain Mm -hmm. and we're gonna share this pain and it's gonna help me talk about it Mm -hmm. and if you do it right people occasionally stop and think you know they realize you know they realize just how many people's lives have been touched by cancer and what that means you know what what's the societal cost and when you learn how to do that then you learn how to do other things you learn how to throw in jokes that are political but make people stop and think and um, that that idea of getting people to stop and think it's like ah if I do this here maybe I can make the point about a lost opportunity in infosec or a a project that failed because of a lost opportunity or misunderstanding so um, it, it all works together and it's it's fun and it's fun laughing and it's fun making people laugh yeah definitely now I agree with that that comment about um being able to tell a story um, when you're not in the best place it is quite therapeutic like um, two years ago now I think it was I spoke at um, a very long title but it was an American conference about um, put put on by Chris Cox from um, Operation Safe Escape and right. it was about um, domestic abuse and violence safety and security and the big thing for me was you know having gone through that and then presenting it to the audience it was very th- therapeutic to me because I'd never really I well, talked about it before but it was almost like I was talking about somebody else's story and it was almost like me realizing what actually what I actually went through and it was it wasn't as funny, I suppose, but maybe in the future I could get to that point. But it was but really that, yeah. strange. Yeah. That otherness that happens, um, some people call it flow state or being in the zone or whatever, that, that performance state that a lot of people get in, I tend to drop right into quickly um, a lot of times, is interesting because as you said you step away from yourself yeah and if you're paying enough attention you pick up on things like you did and you're like wow that's that's that and one of the things that happens in comedy is the ability especially improv the ability to kind of uh, 
double track in your head. I mean, we, we know that nobody is actually multitasking, we're just fast switching. But I've found times where I'll make a statement for humor, and then I will realize that there's more material there. But it was unplanned or it was scripted, and I, it didn't even occur to me until I said it because yeah. now I'm watching myself perform. So it's, it's a weird thing that happened. And that sort of perspective, I mean, that's. You know, if you're lucky and have a good therapist or counselor, they help you do that. Yeah. But you're not hanging out with friends and getting people to laugh and sitting there and watching other people tell jokes. And there's there's abs that's you know not a substitute for for finding a counselor or therapist when you when that's the right <laughs> thing for you. But it's a very different kind of therapy, and yeah. it's it's great. You go out and have fun, and you know it, it's a. It's a fun addition to, to what I do, and I'm not trying to do comedy as a career or improv, improv as a career, but I have fun with it. I think, um, especially in smaller audiences and things, it makes me a, a lot better presenter, and it, I'm much more comfortable when things... I'm much more comfortable when you go into a room and there are only three people there to hear you talk. Because yeah. now what I'll do is, like, I, oh, it's improv time. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to show you three slides out of the deck... But right now, um, something I never would have done before, I'll walk to the front of the stage, sit down on the stage, and just, like, almost as close as we are across this table, chat with people. Because I've now gotten used to breaking down those barriers and connecting with people. I I would agree with that, actually. That's the one thing that I noticed about... Because, I mean, I don't do nearly as many talks as you do, but last year I did about 20, and I think I'm about 15 this year, and um, and then also private talks as well. And and I think that was what really stood out to me, was that comfort. You know, I'm I'm now in the mindset that... I know the audience is there to see something, maybe not me necessarily, but to see what, mm-hmm. you know, I'm yeah. presenting. And they already want me to succeed. It's very rare that somebody goes to a talk to want somebody to fail. Right. I will caveat that with in some of my comment feedback, I have seen the people that do want that. So right, right, right. They yeah. do exist. There, there, there are exist. some un- unpleasant people, yeah. <laughs> but I've gotten to that comfort, so now I'm not... I'm not terrified because I'm like, I'm not good enough. I mean, I already struggled with that to begin with, so that's not new. But but I do realize that actually, if I at least get the points across that I want to get, then I'm happy. It doesn't have to be perfect. And and I've failed many times. Like, uh, besides Leeds, my laptop blue screened whilst I was the keynote. And I mean, it actually came up again, but I wasn't scared. You know, and that was the big indication to me that something has changed. That's um, big. Yep. Yeah, and I did a talk where the a, audio, or oh, sorry, video, audio visual, uh, the visual, so the my slides wouldn't turn on. They just wouldn't work. No idea why. They just didn't. And I was like, whatever. I'm just going to do a chat. You know. And I think that to me was a big change from where I started out. Um, I do try to do funny things. I don't see myself as that funny of a person. But I do things like very simple things, like like my introduction. It was like, this is where you know skill yeah, should be. This is where, yeah. <laughs> that that was beautifully done because it. You're showing that that slide that was good because it shows that you've learned a lot, mm-hmm. but you're at that point which I, most of us get to it after years in the business. Like you start to learn how much you don't know. Yeah. And in our industry, you compound that with the rate of change and the n- number of new things. Mm-hmm. And so it is challenging. But it's it's good to point that out. You know, it's good to point that out. It's, it's fun. 
And and the other thought, I sorry, watched or listened to this audiobook about um, the guy that runs TED Talks, yes. and he talks about you know laughter again connects you authentic authenticity. Yes. If I said that right, yes. that's important. And the biggest one that he points out that I actually have noticed since he pointed out is the talkers that the talkers, <laughs> the speakers that are like, I'm so amazing. Look at all amazing things that I've done. And it's like right away you're like. I don't want no, to do no, that. No, I don't no, want right. to connect with you. That's that's right. Yeah, and that makes a massive difference. Is recognizing you you aren't perfect, and you know there's some things that uh, you're not going to know, right. but uh, not being that egotistical like I'm amazing. Yeah, that that's it's interesting. A friend of mine does a lot of government work in Washington D.C., and we were discussing. He said, "Why is it that untrained hackers give so much better presentations?" than these government people and think tank people and everything else. And I said, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of those. I've seen some of those. But it seems that they are impressed with themselves. Yeah. And we tend to be, even those of us who are successful, um, tend to be respectful of the fact that people are there to hear from us. And as you said, most people, most people want you to succeed. But the attitude the attitude of hey I'm standing here in front of an audience I owe them the best I can do mm-hmm. and the flip side of that is I'm standing here in front of the audience they owe me their attention they owe me their love you know it's it's almost like the cliches about cats and dogs right the joke about cats and dogs you like the cat the dog sees you and says wow, they feed me and water me and take me out. They must be a god. And the cat says, they feed me and water me and empty my litter box. I must be a god. <laughs> right, it's, it's the attitude. And I'm not anti-cat, but uh, for the that joke, you know, be the dog as a presenter, yeah, not yeah. the cat as a presenter. 100%. No, I would agree with that. I think that the other challenge is, you know, you've done a, t- a couple talks and it does get to the point where like, oh, you know, people want to see me. And I had one person come up to me for a conference and was like, oh, I'm here to see you. And that terrified me. I know for some people it might be like, oh, awesome, you know, I'm doing something. Wrong. But for me, I was like, I have to now please this person. Yeah, like, it was so scary to get told that. It's, it, it makes it personal. Yeah. It makes it personal. And oh, that's, that's a, a real challenge. But it's... Um, it's good it means you know like you said people are there they want you to succeed they're going to give you things it's one of the things I've learned about in comedy is I've seen some unknown people in unknown places do amazing material uh, usually short sets and open mics I've, I've seen a guy that did a just a couple of weeks ago in LA a guy that did a five minute set that was absolutely mind blowing he only got a few laughs because everybody's there working on their own stuff at open mics but uh, it it drove home the point that if you go to see Stephen Wright or if you go to see any of the major comics you're so psyched to see them you're going to laugh at anything they say for the first five minutes and it's got to be terrible for them to lose the audience. They're given this gift of five, of, uh, depending on who they are in the situation, they're given a gift of one or two to five or ten minutes worth of, we're here to see you, um, you know, don't screw it up. And it's it's interesting, it's not quite the same for us, but people that, that want to see us, they want you to succeed. And that first few minutes is an interesting thing. It doesn't translate cleanly, but one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is 
uh, Steve Martin has one of his pet peeves about comedy, and I've just realized how bad this is, and we tend to be bad too, is comics who, who walk out on stage and they say, I am whatever, it's great to be here in Copenhagen or London or, or, or San Francisco. And it's like, you're standing on the stage, they know who you are. They drove to the theater, they know where they are. You have a moment <laughs> that you could have used, could have used. Yeah. and so having seen that and seeing some of his other stuff he'll walk out and I've seen people that play this well they walk out and you don't want to be silent for too long but a little silence is fun and it builds tension and a little silence where you are very clearly looking in the audience and scanning the audience and not necessarily focusing on one thing, not looking for the one friend who at least will be nice to you afterwards, but, you know, really scanning the audience. They're, it's like, all right, they're summing you up and what's happening now. And, you know, uh, there are ways to do that. And if somebody introduces you, depending on the context, maybe you don't start with... Um, full background you start you explain some things that like wasn't a standard bio right you, you went a little different direction and then you went on the the, the beautiful graph that you drew that was a bit and, shaky <laughs> uh, where you're trying to draw on a tablet on a table and it, it was it the point you made your point very well uh, it, but it was not the standard hi i'm so and so this is what i've done this is what i've done this is what i'm done and now this is what i'm going to talk about yeah. it's it's dive in and give them stuff and I've, I've discovered that, you know, if you're in a situation where you're, you're trying to do that, especially if you've been introduced, certainly in comedy, don't waste that first, that first interaction is so good. And I've got a couple of jokes that I do, and they're not that fun. They don't work well. I need better ones. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the one that I do is I walk out and stare at the, stare at the audience and kind of look around and say, you know, I'm sure she's too nice. Everything I've ever heard, she's too nice. But still, I wonder if this phone call ever happened. And then I'm just silent for, and people are like, where is he going with this? And then I grab my phone and say, hi, Jolene, it's Dolly, Dolly Parton. Just want you to know, I got the guy, and I've made millions off of your name. Have a blessed day. Bye. Click. You know. It sets up this weird tension. It sets up this thing, and people are like, "That's not even that funny." But people that follow it, they're like, oh, what, is, "What was that?" Okay, all right. What else do you have? That was because <laughs> you knocked them into a slightly uncomfortable place. We giggle when we're uncomfortable. That's right? true. We do. We do. Get them a little not awkward, uncomfortable. Make them just a little fun, uncomfortable. And a bit confused, also. Where? Yeah. yeah. Where is this going? And so you tee that up, and they're like, "What? What's that?" Right. It doesn't directly translate into telling how to, you know, exploit hypervisor layers or I mean. errors in, you know, Kubernetes, rapid deployment of uh, insecure containers and exploitation methods. But that idea of even if you are in a situation where you, feel you need to establish your credentials, uh, don't use it joke that you read out of a joke book um, you know or off of Facebook even though every now and then somebody has a great meme um, <laughs> come up with something that makes sense and it doesn't have to be a joke but you know just start with something that's going to get people's attention yeah no 
and, and then if you if you've got to establish yourself if you're trying to win over the audience if it's you know if you're doing a sales pitch or something like that you do some sort of connection and then bring it back to prove that they should listen to you uh, but yeah they're they're a lost opportunity little things like that i've learned that like oh i should is this a place where I can do that? And that's the next question. You don't use all of these everywhere. That's, that's what I was just about to bring up, actually, is I, I did a talk in Asia, and I talked about um, uh, an app that anywhere else in any other country wouldn't be that big of a deal. Well, not any other country, but mm. most countries are speaking, not a big deal. But it was Grindr, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a huge fan of Grindr, not because I'm a gay man, but because I think they should have a right to date, you know, yeah. human. Yeah. Right. Why would they? But I did that example in Asia, and the country I was in, that's yep. illegal. Yes. And I didn't realize until after I said it. And it wasn't a joke, mind you, but it was a really good point that I had to learn, especially as at the time I had very short hair, um, when I landed in that country, um, two women were punished for being lesbians, and I made a comment about a gay app, and I was like, mm. "Ooh, I would yeah. like to get home safely." Like, yeah, yeah, that, that's and, a challenge, and that one's, it. you know, that's one um, that's an issue that comes up. One of the things that comes up with B sides a lot mm-hmm. is uh, B sides are all over the world, mm-hmm. and. We have very relaxed rules, which distill down to be good to and be good for your community. Mm-hmm. There are not a lot of specific details. And if there were, a couple of weeks, two weeks, last weekend, besides in Yangon, Myanmar, what used to be Burma, I think that was their third one. Okay. Uh, social norms there are different. Mm-hmm than they are here in Copenhagen. <laughs> they are different than they are in Istanbul or Jeddah or um, in uh, the African countries. I mean, the social norms from San Francisco to Las Vegas are different, <laughs> right? Uh, things like codes of conduct can translate really well across from one to another, but a code of conduct that specifies no... Um, that, that calls out specifically gender and orientation, as you said, is illegal in some places. Yeah. So, you know, you need to figure out where that is, and sometimes you figure that out. And, and Grindr is an interesting example. I have some friends that are in the security team, and they had an issue with a product at a company I was with. They just needed some help, and Grindr is often used as a joke, mm-hmm. which... Me as a straight person, it's it's not a joke. Uh, These are people looking for companionship and love. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Um, But they they made the point that they take uh, privacy, even though they've had a breach. They take privacy and security very seriously because their target audience is illegal. Mm. Is punished or put to death is mm-hmm. you know maybe not officially put to death but they're you know gay bashing and yeah. they, getting beaten to death in yeah. the streets of moscow is a thing that happens well then i use going to a lot because it is it does have such a threat and the developers i mean 
I don't know anyone that works there, but I do imagine that they're going to be aware of that. I can't imagine they'd create an app like that with not being aware. But examples that I used, like the one I used in that Asia country, was the Cairo police used it to target gay men. Not because it was illegal, but because it allowed them to find reasons to arrest those men. Right. Um, In America, you've got many examples of abuse and death from them. um, And it's also a, a blackmail. It's yeah, also a blackmail. Yeah, even if true. we keep out of the the legal stuff, if you have, if you have someone who is um, closeted or is out but not publicly out, you yeah. know, there's a difference between, yeah, your friends, that's that's yeah. who we are. Like, oh, cool, whatever, yeah. uh, and you know, putting it on your Facebook profile or yeah. Twitter page. You know, may, maybe mom and dad don't need to know. Yes, that's a good point. <laughs> maybe actually. there's a reason you live in Key West or. Copenhagen or San Francisco as opposed to wherever and you know wherever Um, so you don't want to advertise it and these these privacy issues and putting them in the context of abuse survivors put them in the context of grinder makes it um, relatable because it brings it to a level of seriousness severity Mm -hmm. that you can then make that point and then you can back it down to well, maybe you're me. You're a somewhat successful straight old white guy. Mm-hmm. Um, my my threat model is way different. Mm-hmm. Right? I do a lot of travel. The advice, the way I travel, is not the way I would suggest you travel. <laughs> uh, it turns out being 6'3 with a giant beard and uh, having grown up in a city during the race riots in the 60s, my risks are a lot different than yours and so it's sad because I make friends with bartenders and uh, I make friends with bartenders everywhere because um, I enjoy good cocktails but also because bartenders except for the top tier of bartenders aren't extremely well paid some do pretty well but they're very well connected they know everybody in the industry so they know the best bargains, the best food, the best drink, the best off-the-beaten-path things. Mm-hmm. And they're, it makes travel a lot better, having friends in the industry. Yeah, uh, but the idea of just, like, where should you go, the idea of walking all over Vegas at 2 or 3 in the morning, I don't recommend this for anybody. Well, but in, if you're me, if yeah. you're my size with this beard and, you know people look at me and it's you know it well it's classic victim thing Mm. if you appear to be yep i can rob this guy but it's going to hurt right (laughs) then don't that's a bad victim (laughs) bad victims hurt me right and it's one of the reasons i like uh what they're doing in badass army with Mm -hmm. just you know outing people you know they're they're really turning the tables on that sort of disgusting abuse and it's Oh, that was a mistake. I should not do this because, you know, victims that don't say stay victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would agree with that. Um, I'd also say that a lot of times um, I really like the point about, you know, travel specifically because I do travel a lot as well and mm-hmm. I travel a lot alone. And um, I was speaking uh, to a conference organizer recently about this. And um, when I travel, I always make sure, depending on what country, I make sure there's a male that I trust very heavily because I have been on 
you know, the not so positive side. So I do know what could happen if it's somebody I don't trust. And so I'm very picky about who I talk to and, and knowing that I trust that person. Um, like, for example, when I went to um, Australia in 2017, not that I thought anything bad about Australia, but it was very far from where I lived and I didn't know anyone. And so I made a mutual connection um, and had them validated based on other people so I could and I ended up spending my entire week with Christian. He's actually in America, but he's from Australia. Very lovely man, very like trustworthy. Mm. And and a lot of people, especially women, come up to me after and like, how do you travel alone? Like, how, how do you do it? And I'm like, unfortunately, I need to do that. I need to find one, a male yeah. that I can talk to. In this situation, I'm it's different. I'm, I'm, I feel safe here, but I, I also have been to Copenhagen a few times, um, as well as looking at you know the organisers. Also, the organisers. You know, I went to a conference recently where they they walked us to our speaker dinner down like a bunch of back alleys. They had no street lights. It was middle of the night, like really dark. I was absolutely terrified to go home because I don't know the country. That was the first time I was there. And I don't speak the local language, unfortunately. I'm not very good at languages. And it was really frustrating to me because I'm like, why didn't they think of that? You know, why wouldn't they realize? But thankfully, there was another speaker that um, walked me back to the hotel and, you know, it was fine. But it's, it is that I mean, social norms and understanding other people and how they feel, I think, is quite right, important. Right, the, the empathy of mm-hmm. understanding that your perspective is not universal. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a ch- that's a challenge that we have in the industry, yeah. uh, to put it mildly, that, that the experiences of Silicon Valley are not the experiences of normal humans, and they certainly aren't the experiences of people that have in- entered the industry um, from non-traditional paths. Yeah, but to spin it on the positive, because I always like to talk about positive, is you know recognizing that that other speaker was able to recognize it i mean today with that comment that was made to me mm-hmm. whilst they were speaking i mean the organizers all apologized mm-hmm. to me you know so it's, it's it's nice that i do see that positive and i do see that shift mm-hmm. and i think that having speakers like you specifically i mean i've seen you speak multiple times you're a very lovely person but also that joy that you bring to the stage and your presence i think it, it kind of Take, hides away that negativity and allows us to see it in a more positive light. Right. And I think having people that can do that, I mean, I can't imagine that I'm quite there yet, but maybe in, maybe yeah, in you're, you're 20 more there. years. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, but I do think that um, that actually makes much more progress to our industry because we can see that positive and we can think in that positive the, way. The, the positive is an interesting challenge in the industry mm-hmm. because those of us that are on the the hacker mindset in, <laughs> regardless of our job title, tend to focus on the negative. The negative. And it's really easy. Oh, yeah. And I, it, it's yeah. really easy, but the reality is a lot of progress has been made. Mm-hmm. The problem is that we see vulnerability after vulnerability. We see the iPhone is not as secure as we thought it was at one point in time. <laughs> we discover, you, you know, we... It's, there are a whole bunch of people that love to make fun of Windows for security and usability, and they use Linux on a laptop, and I'm, I'm not going to get into that, but as, as the speaker this morning said, you know, where Windows, the current build of Windows 10 
unless you've disabled stuff, is compared to a standard unhardened Linux box. There's a lot of uh, there are a lot of legacy libraries that we rely on, and you know that's not a shot at Linux. I, I run Mac and Windows for laptops, and I have not run a server that wasn't some variation of Linux in 12 or 15 years with the exception of lab boxes where those were set up as targets or something I specifically had to do. So I, I live there, but the idea that it's magically better, um, it was it was absolutely true during the Windows 98 days, you know. <laughs> um, it was absolutely true. Uh, things like having native firewalls and a lot of the, the consumer build, Linux builds and things, that, that was profoundly true. Um, and it's it's all made a target but it's really easy to focus on the negative and it's interesting because i've talked to a lot of executives and venture capitalists and entrepreneurs and they all find something to be positive about yeah. and the reason they do is because they're looking at big picture stuff yeah. they're looking at big picture stuff they're looking at development frameworks that make it harder to make some of the simpler mistakes in fairness to, to be the cranky old person I am, um, granted they tend to churn out code that's so bloated that you need, you know, a supercomputer <laughs> for a laptop. Uh, I am not advocating writing native C code for the sake of, of performance and portability because there are very few people who do that well, ever. <laughs> However, that said, the people that did wrote some applications there. Wow, this is lightning fast, and it looks and works almost exactly the same on my Mac and on my Windows box and on three different flavors of Linux, and it's really fast. I have this eight-year-old laptop, and it still works. And then you take a modern app, and it... Mm. But it's worth the trade-off. We're trading the power for the, the inherent security. And uh, that's, that's great. There are people that are looking at things like progress in, in government um, in the UK they finally have like one place to to start for all things mm -hmm. computer security I'm still allergic to I'm, I don't get upset when people <laughs> say cyber or cyber security because that's the world we're in but I that's not my go-to for the phrase but you know a place to start yeah. right and then it's all the other agencies are still there but where do I where do I turn yeah and, and it specifically and, says for example, the NISD, which is the Network Information Security or Information Systems Directive, so it applies right. to critical infrastructure. Right. It all says immediately go to the NCSC. Right, go to uh, the NCSC. Yeah, and, and that's great because then they triage, triage right. it right. and they get to the right people. The US has a challenge uh, of scale, which yes. is far greater than anyone else. I mean, uh, uh, ASD, the Australian Signals Directorate, has become more and more public and more and more public in their advice. And for years and years, they've had some great advice and great tools out. And, you know, it's easier for that. But the U.S., at least within the government, is starting to stand things up that make that better. Mm -hmm. uh, we're starting to see more people understanding the big picture. The other, the other big difference I see between the ability to be optimistic is not just big picture, but it's an understanding that comes at some level of operating in reduced capacity. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, yeah. For critical servers, our goal is to have, when we find them, our goal is to have them triaged in 72 hours. You're like, mm -hmm. 72 hours? It's like, we gotta get the right people in to tell us whether we should wipe and restore or if we need to wait for the FBI 
to show up in a van and take the box away. Yeah. You know, do we image it? Do we have backups that are safe? Do we have that, right? And then we give ourselves 72 more hours to rebuild or replace that unit. Well, yeah. that's, that's a week. That's crazy. It's like, no, that's reality. Yeah. That's why we have, you know, multiple redundant systems. What about workstations? Well, you know, we, we try to get like, within 90 days. That's <laughs> terrible. It's, yeah, well, if what we're doing is we see 5% of our, hosts are com- our workstation hosts are compromised at any point of time, and our goal is to get that down over time, but we've figured out how to work with that, and we have network isolation, and so we're, we're dealing with it. Yeah. And so from the perspective of somebody that was hands-on keyboard packet monkey for years and years, that makes me crazy. <laughs> but on the other hand, the company's not there to be secure, right? You're, yeah. you're not going to... That's not their core competency. You're not going to yeah. get things... Uh, done whatever your company does now there have been some reminders the, the, the Maersk disruption of ship global shipping the story of going to, to get the data center back up from Ghana that was brilliant but that's that's a story that really makes that come home to you yeah. that that's that and so you, you know it's an extreme case but you look at National Health Service you look at others that got hit like Federal Express and others there's a there's a lesson there but Boxes still showed up at my door when FedEx was in trouble. Now, containers didn't show up. Or or even the, not cyber incident, but when uh, KFC, in, I don't know if you heard about this, yes. but KFC switched their um, shipping company, right, right. and then the company wasn't able to handle the shipment, and they had to get rid of all the chicken, and they literally had to close shop because they couldn't, they couldn't have, any, have chicken. any chicken. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's, 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 it's still a disaster that are, recovery right, thing. People yeah. that are talking about supply chain quality issues <laughs> right now, it's like, you know, that's there's nothing new. When I was, <laughs> when I first began my transition out of being a mechanic, I went into the, the parts department, and that's where I started using computers heavily, other than the computers and cars, yeah. and, um, you know, inventory management, just-in-time stuff, mm-hmm. the, the efficiency of just-in-time delivery is great, until, I always forget which one it was, there was an early worm that shut down a Chrysler plant. I was there. Uh, that's 12 years ago I forget I should remember this but you know I'm old and so I forget things but it shut down a Chrysler plant and what happened was it shut down on a Monday morning because it was somebody's laptop their kid played downloaded some freeware games over the weekend they brought it in and plugged it in and they plugged it into a flat network in the office and things beyond that office um, shut down and so what happens is it was Chrysler General Motors had problems the reason General Motors had problems is because they share suppliers for seats and other things the railroad cars are locked up because they have no place to send it they don't have storage at the factories anymore the truckers are backed up because there's nothing and so they were taking marshalling yards and just renting tractor trailers and dropping trailers packed with stuff but that meant that other people couldn't get seats or airbag modules yeah. and so the supply chain you know this this idea that supply chain issues because of cybersecurity that's not you know the first real example of that was yeah. over a decade ago yeah. well in the and the bit about it is you said 12 years ago yeah but the Maersk one had the same issue and right. it was like it was <laughs> and, random and, and, a, and it was global scale yeah it was insane it was global yeah. scale and the second order impacts I recently talked to somebody and, and she made the point that as as countries get more and more engaged in 
you know, forgive me, cyber warfare or whatever <laughs> we call uh, computer intrusion and you know, spy versus with, spy. I'm happy with cyber warfare. <laughs> uh, it, would, it gets thrown on a lot of things that aren't. You know, That's that true. are just you, it, it's just digital spycraft. But as that becomes more and more commonplace. We have the struggle of the second order, and that means that if it's government to government, that's one thing. But we have what you know in the military is we have uh, you know non-viable casualties. We have collateral damage. Yes. And that's that's the companies you and I and your listeners are trying to defend and protect, mm-hmm. and they get damaged because of something governments do in their little wars. Yeah. And it's and that's that's just not okay. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so how do we do that? You know how how do we do, how do we deal with those things? Yeah. Well, I think we're going to have to cut off because yeah, it looks like everybody's coming up. Break but, time yeah. and a little noisy. <laughs> but thank you so much for thank chatting you. with me. It's been great chatting with I you. Love, I love chatting with I you. I love so talking really with you too. This is fun. Yeah. Thank you.